0: That's a hard name to say. Dr. Mohan Korgankor was the surgeon. Dr. Kwok Wee Chan was assisting as the anesthesiologist. The date was October uh, 24th of 1991. In Boston, Massachusetts at at a hospital, they were performing a surgery, routine surgery, on an elderly lady. The nurses were scattered around in the operating room. The uh, anesthesiologist, Dr. Chan, had administered his stuff, and and the the lady was sleeping peacefully, blissfully unaware of everything that was going on. Uh, The doctor, Dr. Mohan, was uh, so uh, skilled, this was a routine thing for him. He had years of experience, and he was was ready to uh, begin the procedure. Now, nobody knows what exactly happened. But there were words exchanged between Dr. Mohan and Dr. Chan. And and nobody's sure what those words were, but it was very clear to everybody in the room that these two did not like each other. At some point during the surgery, Dr. Chan uttered a profanity in in the direction of the surgeon who offhandedly flipped a cotton swab back at the anesthesiologist. Now, apparently his aim was very good because it hit him, and we're talking a cotton swab, and set about a course of events that nobody anticipated because these two professionals came to blows. It started with pushing and shoving. Then there were th- punches thrown, there were fists flying. They were at one point wrestling around on the floor like children, pummeling each other, screaming and yelling, and then abruptly it stopped. They caught their breath, and they finished the operation. Now, both of the guys were referred to the Massachusetts Medical Board, and uh, both of them were fined and sentenced psychotherapy and anger management training and it all started with a cotton swab it's funny to us because we've all been there you've been in a place somewhere in your life where you've been in one of those kind of situations maybe not a physical altercation but definitely an argument and you get to the end of it and you go what in the world are we doing how did we get here why are we fighting what are we fighting about anyway and at some point you're gonna if you haven't you're gonna get there you're gonna be at that place because somebody somewhere you're gonna get into an argument with you're gonna get into a disagreement with if you don't believe me watch social media for the next few months because as we lead up to the election if I don't respond to you I'm sorry the unfollow button is my friend right now and uh, I I it makes my life a lot better and takes a lot of the drama out of my life, but there's a lot of needless arguments about everything. I think that's what's happening as we get to the end of Philippians. If you remember, uh, uh, as we've been moving along through here, we've gotten to chapter four, verse one, and I told you that last time that that was uh, that 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 chapter breaks not there. The originally this was a letter. And and verse 1 really was finishing up the thoughts at the end of chapter 3. But, again, this was a letter. And so verse 1 is not just an end thought, it's also a segue into the next section. Follow along with me if you have your Bibles. Uh, Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. I plead with Euodia and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. Now, as we've gone through Philippians, we've talked about how Paul has focused in on this idea of the supremacy of Christ. I call this series No Matter What because that seems to be one of the things that he comes back to over and over and over. That that Christ is above all and Christ is more important than everything, no matter what. It's more important than, than Paul's freedom as he's in prison. It's more important than Paul's life. It's more important than his religion. It's more important than his tradition. It's more important than his heritage. He's gone over and over and over this, and, and he lays out this beautiful example of Jesus and says, be of the same mind. Have this same mind that was in Christ Jesus. This is how you find unity in the Spirit. He starts out in 1, verse 27, side by side with one mind for the face of the gospel. He's going he's gonna to come back in chapter 2, and, and, and there's this big section about having the same, same mind that's in Christ Jesus. And then right here in verse two, the NRSV renders it urge. He says, I urge, Euodia, I urge Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Now you're reading this and you go, who are these people? Because this looks like Paul giving a random shout out. Just two random people, maybe three if you count Clement, maybe four if you count whoever the true companion is. That just random shout-outs here in the middle of this letter. But I'm not really sure that's what it is. I think it's more important than that. If you read through this, it's fascinating because we know so very little about these people. Everything that we know about them are in these these two verses right here in the beginning of chapter 4. But here's what we do know. We know that... They're both beautifully named. Euodia means prosperous or successful. Syntyche means fortunate or lucky. You would expect that these two women with such lovely names would be living lovely lives. And from everything that we can see, if you look at the way Paul talks about them, they are. They are living lovely lives, except in whatever this disagreement is that they're struggling with right now. We also know where they came from. We know they're Macedonians. We know that they are Greeks who converted, and and so as they have converted, um, we know that that's their heritage. Now, This is totally supposition on my part, but if you remember, when we talked about in Acts, when Paul comes to Philippi, he first encounters a group of ladies who are worshiping by the river. I don't know if Euodia and Syntyche may have been one of those ladies. I I can't prove that. That's just Jeff's supposition, and that and four bucks will get you a cup of coffee. But if, if, if that's the case, these women have been there from the beginning. We know that they are considered leaders in the church. Now here's what I mean by that. Paul refers to them in terms that he only uses for people of equal stature in the gospel. He only uses these words of Barnabas, Silas, Priscilla and Aquila, Timothy and Titus. Never In any of his writings, does he refer to regular church members with the same words that he uses to describe Euodia and Syntyche? Paul counts Euodia and Syntyche as as equals with him on on this level of leadership. They are worthy, he says, of the same support that he's received. He highlights their status on purpose. He, He associates them with Clement and with himself, and with all of those who had been co-workers who had been co-laborers who had worked alongside he's not seeing them as subordinates here he's not looking at them as as junior apostles or in any way not as good as anybody else he uses this term to address equals and not subordinates second he says he 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 says these women Ha, or or soon that's the Greek word. Soon means together or alongside, and athlane is where we get our word athlete, okay? So, way back in the Latin Vulgate, when, when it, the Roman Catholic Church was first translating everything, that word got rendered laborers, co laborers. That's not a good translation. It, it actually means teammates, athletes alongside. Now, there's an important reason for that. And and if you you think about it, it's startling that he would use this word. Because women were not allowed to be athletes. Only men competed in the Olympic Games, in the, the athletics that Paul has been referencing throughout this letter. He's used that imagery up to this point. And he's keeping that imagery going. He's he's stretching that metaphor out right here in regard to these ladies. Now, it's striking because men were the only ones who ran in the games. They ran naked. And and because of an incident where a mom snuck in to watch her sons uh, compete, everybody who watched was naked. Only men were allowed. Makes you want to go to a game, doesn't it? Um, only men were allowed. That's significant because Paul is not an accidental apostle. He doesn't just write things for the fun of it. He doesn't make mistakes like that. And I don't believe the Holy Spirit makes mistakes when it's leading him. And so he uses this word on purpose. He uses sunath lane, co-workers, uh, co-teammates, if you will, of Euodia and Syntyche. Because that's going to bring to mind these people thinking of them in a way that that puts them on the same plane as as others that he's talking about. These were women that Paul esteemed as, as fellow laborers, as teammates, as equals. But something was wrong. We don't know what it was. We can make a couple of suppositions. We're pretty sure that it's not something that was sinful. Because Paul's never bashful about calling out sin. Paul never hesitates to call sin, sin. And so I'm pretty sure that it wasn't sin because if it was sin, he would have called it out. There are some people who will postulate that they were some of the ones who were doing the the Judaizing. But I don't see that because if you look at Paul's words elsewhere in Galatians and other places, Paul's not bashful about calling those people out either. And so I don't think he would have spoken of them in the same glowing manner if they had been involved in a doctrinal error. So whatever their argument is, it's something that's putting these two ladies that he values, that he sees as co-workers, as fellow athletes, as teammates, at odds with one another and it's hurting the church that's why it matters we don't know what they disagreed over and it doesn't really matter what they disagreed over their disagreement was hurting the church it was hurting the unity of the body and it was hurting its reputation in the community and Paul says, he addresses this here right at these ladies. He calls them out. Remember, this letter was going to be read publicly in the assembly. He's calling them out before everybody because everybody knew what was going on. I think that's important. I think, now this is again just Jeff's opinion, but I think that this is what Paul's been leading up to the whole time. I think he's been shooting for this the whole time. I think he knew about this. He knew that these two ladies that he revered as leaders in this church were, were splitting this church apart. And everything that he's been writing, being of the same mind, how Christ is more important than anything else, even our petty arguments, how being, having the same mind, a selfless mind like Jesus, I think all that has been leading to this moment. He's made his case so he can hammer it home right here and say, look, This is the point. You two agree. Be of the same mind. It's significant, And, and there's a few things that I want us to look at. Because when I see something like this, this is not just Paul speaking to two people. Because the Holy Spirit preserved this and put this in our Bible so that we would read this even today. So there's something here that you and I can learn. And what is that? Well, I think there's a few things. First of all, I I think it's important that we learn that conflict is normal. It's okay to disagree. We haven't really got that in our society anymore. Now, if if I disagree with with Spencer, then I have to to decide to to castigate him and to insult him and and to push him aside and and to hurl all manner of insults and and all manner of of demeaning phrases. I, I can't just disagree. I have to dismiss. We need to understand conflicts. Normal uh, disagreements, okay? That's that's important because I, I hear people all the time. You know, they're they're hopping from church to church. I got a buddy right now, and he's doing that. He's hopping from church to church, and I ask him, you know, where what are you doing? Well, I'm, I just I just want to find that perfect church. And I said, well, if you do, what would they want with you? Because you're just gonna mess that up if they're perfect. And good luck finding that because that doesn't exist. The church is made up of of broken, sinful people. And every church is going to be made up of broken, sinful people. Now, we're broken, sinful people that have been healed by the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. And and, and we celebrate that. But we're still people. We're still human. And conflict's going to happen. It's okay. It's normal. The second thing is it doesn't matter who's right. If if you look at this, Paul doesn't take a side. He doesn't say, now, you I want you to be quiet and listen to Syntyche because she's right. He doesn't say, Syntyche, uh, you need to to back off because you is right. He doesn't do that. He doesn't pick a side. He doesn't say you're right and you're wrong. He says be of the same mind. What mind? Chapter 2, the mind of Christ that is the supremacy of Jesus, that the gospel is more important than anything, including our petty arguments. Sometimes we have to just agree to disagree and move on. We have to just say, you're not going to convince me, I'm not going to convince you, but we are still brothers and sisters because we share the blood of Jesus. And that covers up all that stuff. Second thing I want us to come away with is that sometimes peacemakers are needed, and that's okay. Paul calls on this true companion, literally the 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 loyal yoke fellow is the actual literal translation, and and he calls on whoever this individual is. And you can read all kind of commentaries, and they'll postulate all kind of theories. Truth is, nobody knows. Everybody's just making stuff up, but but. He calls on somebody and he says, you need to reach in here and you need to help these two. You need to help them come together. You need to be a peacemaker. And sometimes peacemakers are required. You notice he doesn't address that to you, and Syntyche. He doesn't say, hey, you guys need to go find a mediator. He says, mediator, you need to go find these women. A lot of times we say, well, so-and-so is mad at so-and-so, but I don't want to get involved in that. I think there's a time when peacemakers are required. Not to come in and take a side, not to come in and say, you sit down, you sit, not any of that, but to help them be of the same mind. The mind that says Jesus is more important than whatever nonsense we're arguing about. Finally, this conflict hurts the church, it distracts from the mission. It distracts from what the church is supposed to be doing. Right now there are churches arguing about all manner of things. We could sit here all day and name all the things the churches are fighting about. Race, music, worship, masks, uh, meeting, whether to meet, whether or not. All kinds of things. And that's what, there are arguments going on all over the world. And Satan's loving that. Because we're so busy fighting with each other, we're not taking the battle to him. That's the purpose. The whole reason for the arguments is to get us so busy fighting with each other that we forget that there's an actual enemy that we should be concerned about. It hurts the church. Now let me say this. There's lots of people who've divided over lots of things. You drive through just about any town and you'll see hundred churches. Divided for this this reason, that reason, whatever. It is no small thing to dissect the body of Christ. It is no small thing to dismember the body of Christ. I think we forget that. I think we forget that the Bible calls the church the bride of Jesus. Do you want to meet him one day and say that you physically or spiritually or emotionally abused his bride? That's scary. It's a scary place to be. And Paul says, when our petty disagreements are hurting the church, there's something more important than whatever it is we're arguing about. This morning... It doesn't matter who's right or who's wrong. It doesn't matter. It's okay to be in conflict. It's okay to disagree. But we have to do that with the mind of Christ. We have to do that in the same mind, Paul says, as Jesus. And there's other places in the Bible where it's going to say that if you come to worship... Your brother, you've got something against your brother that's going to hinder your worship. It's that important. Doesn't matter who's right or wrong. Doesn't matter. It's time for us to agree that Jesus is more important than everything else. There's a real enemy out there. It's not us. And he's loving the fact that we're so busy fighting with one another that we've forgotten there's a world going to hell. If we can help you this morning, if we can pray over you, this is an opportunity right now where we're going to invite you to do that. If you're not here physically, I encourage you, if you send a Facebook message, you comment on that feed right now, people will start praying for you. There are people who are watching it right now, and I guarantee you they will offer up prayers for you. If you don't want to do that publicly, you send us a private message. You call the church. You you send us an email. You send us a Facebook message. Whatever it is that you need to do, but we will go to God in prayer for you. We believe that prayer is the work of the church, and that is very, very important to us. And so if we can help you in whatever way, if we can be your true companion, your loyal yoke fellow, the peacemaker in your situation, whatever it is that we can do for you, let us help you right now. Come as we stand and sing. Angry. Wo-